25. Please turn to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 25. Let's read verses 1 to 13. Matthew 25 at verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all those who uh, virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish, foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealer's and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, For you neither know the day nor the hour. Well, over the last number of weeks, we've been doing a lot of sections that have been repeating a lot, a great deal, haven't they? This principle of getting ready, getting prepared, um, that is something that you know you'll you'll hear a sermon like that, and then you'll say, "Well, okay, I've I've heard that theme before." maybe two or three times, and you say it's time for us to move on. And yet, uh, we have to ask ourselves, one of the important things, you may, you may have said, okay, I, I understood that principle, but then we have to ask ourselves, have we all understood that principle of being ready, being prepared? It's one thing for us to say, okay, I'm, I'm getting weary of a particular theme, but it's another to say, I've understood it, I've owned it, I've embraced it, now, and I've done something about it. I'm, I'm closing with Jesus. I'm taking His warning seriously. And so we've been saying again and again that the, Jesus forecast the destruction of Jerusalem, and then He forecast the end times. And He would punctuate those with, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at a time when you do not know. We've been seeing that through chapter uh, 24. Uh, Verse uh, um, 42, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what what day your Lord is coming. Verse 44 of chapter 24, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then he spoke another parable about uh, 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 servants who who, uh, feel that their master is delayed in their coming. And uh, they begin to be presumptuous. And so again and again, Jesus is telling us about this idea that 
there is an, a, an appointed time to human history. Um, and that there is a day of reckoning coming. That was one of the things that uh, I was able to, uh, uh, privileged to share on uh, uh, Thursday at a cenotaph I was speaking at, uh, looking at remembering the dead of days gone by, but also looking forward to the fact that history is moving toward a conclusion. That's our hope. That's why we go there. We, we, we go not only to remember the fallen, but to affirm the fact that God will break the bow and He will shatter the spear. And that there's an end coming. And that there's a day of reckoning coming. Jesus knew that. He understood it. And here He is, a few days before He dies. He's going away. What does He want us to know? Uh, He's not in it for himself. He's not saying, get me out of this situation. He's, he's not trying to uh, 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 get pity for himself. He's speaking to the people before him. But through the Word, prophetically, he's speaking to all of us. Have you understood, he says. You've been, you're, you've been hearing these messages for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. You've come. You've gone. You've heard it again. You've said, I'm getting weary of hearing it. But let me ask you, have you owned it? Have, have you taken it on board? Because Jesus knows that at the, the end will be significant. It will be a day of reckoning as we saw a, a couple of weeks ago. When the Son of Man comes back, it will be a day like in the days of Noah. It will be a day that will be very ordinary uh, where there will be this swift separation between uh, those who believe and those who do not believe. And, uh, and, and so Jesus, knowing our hesitancy, our stiff-neckedness, our stubbornness, He knows all the things that are against us how the devil is at work. The devil was at work in Jesus' ministry. The devil was always on his heels. If, it wasn't, if he wasn't trying to attack Jesus, he was trying to attack the people near to Jesus, to throw Jesus off his agenda of dying for your soul and my soul. And so Jesus knew the intensity of the power of darkness. And that is that remains so today. And so we have the Gospel of Matthew that keeps saying again and again and again. In other words, if you didn't get it this way, what about this way? Let me tell you another parable, says Jesus. And then He says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. He's, he's just turning it in every possible way in a sense of longing, in a sense of urgency that you and I get it. Did He not pray the night before He died? I pray, Father, not only for these disciples, but for those who will believe on Me through their message. Jesus was looking forward down the corridor of time to you and I gathered here in this church. We're not here by accident. We're not here by mistake. We're here by divine design. That raises the stakes. That gives you a sense of 
dignity of who you are, that you're here by God's appointment. And so Jesus is, is reminding them again and again because the time is short. Don't you do that? If the time is winding down, you're going away. There's things that have to be done around the house before you leave. And so you say to whoever's there, okay, make sure. I've got a package coming on Wednesday. Make sure there's somebody here. Okay, you said that. Oh yeah, okay. Oh, well, make sure you take the dog out each day and make sure that the the cat gets its medicine yeah you already said that well i'm going to i won't be here so i want you to uh, understand and so we repeat and we repeat ad nauseum <laughs> to the point that the person gets annoyed yeah you've already said that uh, but there's more at stake here isn't there our souls are on the line and so we do we we can we make easy allowances for Jesus uh, being so repetitive and so urgent with what he's saying listen to me he's saying the kingdom of god is like this and so he shows it from this perspective and that perspective because he knows what we're like he knows how sleepy we are how stubborn we are how unbelieving we are how like these uh, 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 foolish virgins, we can treat these things with such carelessness. And so what's going on here? The kingdom of heaven will be like virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the, the bridegroom. Wedding customs often differ from place to place as they do in the world today. You will go. We will have wedding customs here that might be different from uh, the Netherlands or different from China or different from uh, uh, Brazil or whatever. But in here, in, these, in this culture, uh, it often included the processional of a man to the bride's family's home where the father of the bridegroom would negotiate the dowry with the, the father of the bride. And so those negotiations would take place. doesn't sound very romantic, does it? But after that, the uh, bride and groom would then make their way through the streets to the, to the bridegroom's home. It was a beautiful picture, and that's why Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms, or many mansions, as we uh, traditionally have said. But it's the idea of coming for his bride and taking her back to be with him in his father's house. And this is what's going on here. And the, the bridegroom delayed for some time. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So maybe the negotiations went late, as negotiations sometimes do. Haggling maybe over a sheep or a goat or uh, an extra this or that. Uh, but there, there was this uh, delay. Jesus uses this language to talk about uh, the idea of wedding. Now God often pictured himself as the husband to Israel in the Old Testament, didn't he? And Jesus has no problem with identifying himself in that way, of, of taking that character to himself. Of course, what he's doing is saying he is the God of the Old Testament. He is the God who was married to his people Israel of old. And, and so Jesus is saying a lot there 
about himself. And so when it comes to these uh, uh, circumstances that Jesus is describing here, we, we see that Jesus is able to use a variety of things in order to get his point across. To take something as wonderful and celebratory as a, a, a wedding and even use that to impress upon us the urgency of believing, the urgency of being ready. Now, he, he describes it in this way. Kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So these were probably, typically, bridesmaids uh, who were attending the bride. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. But notice what it says first. Kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins. They're, in many ways, they are very similar. They're very similar. They're, they are in the same group. They have the same implements. They, have, they all have lamps. They're probably dressed the same way. They're probably looking forward to the celebrations afterward. They're probably the same age. Uh, they are brought up typically in the same way. There's lots of things that are similar about them. And what the Bible is saying to us here is that this group represent the church, represent the body of believers at all times, in the sense that there is a mixture. A mixture of those who believe and a mixture of those who do not believe. There is, there is this mixture within them. Take, for example, the example we used earlier, which we have talked about before, of Ruth. We read about Ruth. And... Ruth's mother, Naomi, who was full of bitterness and anger, uh, she didn't want her daughters-in-law to be around her because she thought, my life is just filled with such disaster, I don't want anybody to be around me. So just go, go back. Go back to your family, go back to your gods. Uh, she was kind of messed up, Naomi. Uh, but she was, this is what she was saying to her daughters. Uh, daughters-in-law. And up to a point, they looked very similar, the two of them. Orpah and Ruth. They were both going along with Naomi. When asked, they both said, we're going with you. And she said to them, where are you going? We're going with you. So far, so good, right? Until there was this crisis moment where Naomi really turns the heat on puts the pressure on and says, go back. There's nothing, you've got nothing with me, no prospects. You may have, you will find a husband back there, may it go well with you, I hope life is good to you, but just don't be around me because uh, something bad will happen to you. And so, Naomi kind of puts this push on and it's there where Orpah and Ruth are distinguished from one another. Orpah then says, goes back, but Ruth clung to her mother. 
mother-in-law. She clung to her mother-in-law. She was ready to meet the objections of Naomi. She was ready for anything. Not only did she cling, but she had an amazing speech ready. She had amazing things to say. Things that are spoken of at weddings, you know, 3,000 years later. That's how wonderful it was. But there was, up until a point, this inability to distinguish the two. They seemed very eager. They were ready to go the distance. But only one was really ready to go the distance. And that was Ruth. We can think of others like Judas Iscariot, who who famously was indistinguishable from the other disciples. So much so when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they all started to, they didn't point to Judas and say, well, he's obviously the one. They started to say, is it me? Am I the one? They, they, they couldn't. It was that indistinguishable. Jesus said in the earlier chapter that the, the second coming will find people in the field. Two men will be in the field. One will, they'll both probably be dressed similarly, holding similar implements with a similar goal. So many things that are similar with these men. Two women grinding at the mill. Again, very similar. Very similar upbringing, goals, look, language, indistinguishable. But Jesus says one will be taken and one will be left. One will be ready, the other will not be ready. That's what Jesus is getting at with these ten virgins. The ten virgins represent the church of Jesus Christ around the world. The church of Jesus Christ today and maybe disable free church this morning. Where some are are, are ready and others are not ready that in many ways we all look very similar. Similar habits, work, and even church. Maybe have been baptized. Maybe even go to the Lord's Supper. Maybe very moral in the way we live, in the way we treat other people. We have traditional values. Family values, which people often substitute for Christian, uh, a new creation in Christ. And so there's many things where we're almost indistinguishable. Much like these, this group of young women. Until the crisis moment comes. The crisis moment comes where they are, they, they, the bridegroom is delayed in coming and they all become drowsy and and sleep. And at midnight there was a cry. In other words, the the negotiations probably were now over. The bridegroom is, is coming. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. 
So there's this, uh, there's this delay. Then the, the bridegroom comes. And some are ready and some are not ready. Now, people have sought to identify. That's oftentimes what happens with parables. People try to find an exact correlation. This means this and this means this and this means this. And it's not always the case with parables, but the idea of the oil in this parable, people have tried to say, well, it means faith or it means the Holy Spirit or or a combination of those two. Probably is. But Jesus is not narrowing it down to identify what the oil there represents. Of course, we have the famous song, Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Uh, But the idea of the parable is preparation, preparedness, that we do have faith. And I think probably that's what Jesus is getting at there. When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? In other words, are we now actively ready to go? Are we looking to Him? Are we hoping in Him? And so, they say, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. They didn't take any oil with them. You see? Outwardly, they looked the same, but there was a presumption about them. Imagine not taking something so essential, some, an ingredient so important. Outwardly, they looked the same. You see, it's a crisis situation in our lives that often expose what we are really like. What really is in our hearts, and God will bring those traumatic times into our lives. We're going along our merry way, coming, going from church, giving our money, saying hello, talking about... It's easy to do these things, but then a sudden crisis comes and exposes an underlying deficit in our hearts that there's really no knowledge of Jesus. There's no love for God. There's no leaning on His grace. There's simply outward conformity. Or as Paul says, having the form of godliness but denying its power. Having an outward shell of what it looks like to be a Christian, but inside there's nothing there. And oftentimes, as it was with Orpah, when her mother-in-law said, go back, go back. He reaches a crisis. She starts to think, maybe Naomi is right. I don't want to get caught out in a land I've never been to with no husband, no prospects. And so she goes back. Very solemn words. She goes back. And sometimes that's what happens with ourselves. We grow up in the church. Something comes along. It could be some trauma in our lives where we cannot put the pieces together between a loving God and that event that just happened in my life. And so we just throw in the towel and we say, this cannot be. And we walk away. Whatever the crisis may be, here is this crisis. And it exposes the presumption in these five foolish virgins. It it, it exposes the pride, the lack of preparedness. 
it exposes how foolish they are. Did you not know that the the preparations could go on for a long time? Did you not know that sometimes the bridegroom waits to come? Were you not ready for such an important event? Now you've got egg in your face. People do that, don't they? When weddings come, they make those preparations. They want everything to go well. The the, the wedding, the meal, the dance afterwards, and all these things. I remember having a, a, a wedding here back a few years ago, and when I was standing right there, and the couple were standing there, and all the family were gathered, the lights went out. Now that was one thing. It was in the middle of the day, and you could still go on. I could still see my Bible, and they could see everyone... But there was a meal being cooked at the Cropple Hall afterward, and the lights and the electricity went out at the Cropple Hall mid cooking of the meal. And so that was a, a, a bit of a, a panic moment, but thankfully it didn't last very long. The power eventually came back on. They were able to get the meal, and it was a fine day. But especially in situations like that, you don't want to be caught out. You don't want to be looking like, oh, we only made it to this far in the day in the celebrations and everything else fell apart. But more so here uh, in, in this, where the, the, um, these five virgins who were supposed to be ready with their lamps prepared to do the procession at night through the city streets to the bridegroom's home, and now they are left with only a few lights burning. And so the crisis exposed what was really there. That's often what happens today. That's often what happens in people's lives. It's easy to make profession, but then you lose that job. You have problems at home. Somebody dies. Some, something unexpected happens and you can't reconcile that with what you thought God should be like. And you end up throwing the towel in. You weren't ready to meet the moment. And so there is this uh, warning for us, friends, that We are not to be presumptuous. We're not to lean on anything as the hope of eternal life apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. It can't be borrowed. They say, look at verse 8, the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. It can't be borrowed. I've often heard people, you've talked to them about their faith and things like that, and say, well, my mother was a great Christian woman. Yes, and? My mother belonged to the Free Church of Scotland. My grandfather was an elder in the Free Church of Scotland. Blah, blah, blah. In other words, I'm, I'm not saying that that's not something to be proud of or to look to to rejoice in and so on, but to stop there and say, that's my hope. Or my mother, I'm sure my mother is praying for me. Or, you know, I grew up in a Christian home and I I, I learned to be a decent person and I I learned to be a 
you know, treat my parents well, treat other people well, I've got a good work ethic, and all of these things. What are you doing? You're borrowing. You're borrowing off someone else's faith. No, it's got to be personal. So the, the answer says, since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. It has to be personal. It has to be individual. You can't ride on the coattails of someone else. You can't say, because I know this person, and that person is a believer, then I myself will be saved. Or my mother or my father. No, go yourself and get what you need and, 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 and uh, have that supply. Look at what it, uh, Isaiah says in the 55th chapter. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. There's the voice of Jesus in the prophet Isaiah. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me that your soul may live. See, there it is. In other words, not to be so caught up with this world that you're neglecting the things of your soul. Why do you buy, spend money for that which does not satisfy? In other words, you're throwing yourself into your career or even your family and oftentimes it's just leaving you cold. It's not satisfying your soul. You say there's something missing. Many a CEO or many a, a sports star or movie star or whoever found themselves at the end of their lives saying, now what? Uh, where do we go from here? More drugs, I guess. More highs. More parties. I'll just throw myself in. There's got to be, i got to find meaning somewhere. Solomon says, I threw myself into wine, women, and song, and I just said, vanity. All is vanity. All is a chasing after the wind. And in the middle of that, Isaiah says, Ho, all ye that thirst, listen, come to Me, and your soul will be satisfied. Jesus is saying about these foolish virgins, they had everything else but the right thing. They, they, were, they looked very much the part, but they were so far away. And the moment of crisis exposed it. Friend, don't let it only be the day of judgment that exposes your deficit now. Don't wait when you hear that sound. And, and, and that's comparable when they say, here He's coming. That's com comparable to that sound of the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God that will come and say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to meet Jesus. And it exposes that deficit within you. And this parable, though it's short, it contains very sad words, dark words. Our lamps are gone out. The door was shut. And I don't know you. 
In other words, of all your talk, all your running about, I never really knew, knew you. And that's, that's contained in these words after the other virgins came in, verse 11, saying, Lord, Lord! Where have we heard that before? Matthew chapter 7. Lord, Lord, haven't we done many good works in Your name? Haven't we prophesied in Your name? Haven't we done this, that, and the other? Haven't we looked like Your followers? I will say, depart from Me, for I never knew You. Did You love Me? Did You lean on Me? Did You trust in Me as Your Savior? Did You follow Me as Your Lord? Were You really ready? Were You really prepared? Or did You just have an outward shell going through the motions, but inside there was an emptiness, a deadness? And now it's, that is being exposed. And friends, we can't, we can't leave ourselves in that position to wait for the Day of Judgment to, to expose that. And God will in His mercy, bring difficult times in your life to show you. Don't despise those. When God brings the hammer down and trouble comes into your family or your work or into your body, you're physically challenged and you say, how do you meet that? Do you meet it with faith in the Lord Jesus? Or do you become bitter and angry and say, God, where are you? I trusted you. I thought, I thought you know, I was trying to follow you and do all these things, but now you've left me. You forsake You see, those are very important moments in our lives because they expose us. They expose what's really there. Be listening to yourself in those times. Listen to what God is saying to you in those times. Is He saying, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is He saying, I don't know who you are. You don't know me, and I don't know you. And when you realize that, you say, this will not do. I need that oil. I need that readiness, that preparedness. And to whom am I going to go? Oh, all ye that thirst, come. Come to Me. I will make you ready. I will get you ready. Our readiness doesn't come from within ourselves. It doesn't come from us pulling ourselves up from our own bootstraps. We go to the Master of the Feast who gives us the oil. He gives us everything we need. He says, come, for the wedding is ready. It's prepared. Come, dine and eat. And we come and we satisfy ourselves in Jesus Christ. And now we're ready. We're ready that at any moment's notice, whether it's this afternoon, whether it's following the service, whether it's ten years, five years from now, we've settled the matter. And we're looking to Him. Our lamps are ready. They're full of oil. They're looking expectantly. Our, lo- our eyes are lifted up. And we're crying out, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We're saying as the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ. To live is Christ. My life is full of Christ. My my goals for my family are Christ. My goals for my spending are Christ. My goals in my conversation is Christ. My desires 
orbit around His glory and His name. And to die is gain. Is to have that accentuated a million times over. Let's pray.